to the latest edition of my podcast. I'm Aluba Phoenix, and today I'm joined uh, by a very special guest, Bjorn Heidelers, who uh, describes himself as an empowerment coach for the intellectually gifted. Uh, I first met Bjorn uh, last year at a uh, tantric training course, and I've been uh, working with him since on the development of some programs within Google. Uh, so first and foremost, uh, Bjorn, I would like to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you so much for making the time to be with us here today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. So uh, I'm curious about uh, your description of the work you do, an empowerment coach for the intellectually gifted. Tell us a little bit about your backstory and what specifically uh, you focus on on your, your coaching work. Sure. Um... I guess my backstory starts uh, somewhere when I was four years old, uh, walking in the black forest uh, in Germany with my parents, looking up at the night skies and being completely blown away by this by this starry night and uh, the beauty of it. And ever since, I've been on this quest of trying to figure out what this reality is, like like how does all this stuff work and. Um, I started my journey studying astronomy. So I uh, took a lot of physics, mathematics, um, did research into the beginnings of this universe, and uh, from there uh, slowly drifted into uh, data science, working with computers. Um, so basically, I'm uh, I'm an uber nerd. Uh, I think I believe I scored uh, a solid fifty on the MIT nerd test. Um, Having done that for 25 years, at some point I noticed that um, though I was quite skilled in working with computers, working with systems, working with logical rules, I was missing something relating to working with people and um, also working with the paradoxes that I kept encountering in life. So at a certain point, um, I uh, I embarked on one of these tantric trainings you uh, you talked about, and in that first weekend, um, where before that weekend I basically was this uh, this mind walking around, and my body was only an instrument to bring me bring my brain from point A to point B. Uh, I suddenly discovered that my body has its own intelligence, it has its own consciousness, it um, can take its own actions, and that was about eight years ago, and uh, ever since I've been on this journey of discovery of how can this be, how can there be these two vastly different um, relationships to the world, one that is purely uh, logical, conceptual, uh, incredibly powerful, as we can see, um, as Western society has, has, has brought us, um, but also certain, certain ingredients seem to be missing when I relate to the world only from that part and uh, bringing my body in has given me so much more uh, relaxation, fulfillment, uh, pleasure, between the cognitive 
and the somatic, you know, between that mind and, and, and the body. Because um, you say there are very different perspectives, they each have their wisdom. And it's really important that there's a respectful relationship between the two and, and that we can shift from one to the other. Um, but it's interesting that shift is difficult for a lot of people and a lot of the work we've been doing together has focused on this concept of embodied well-being, really inviting people back into their bodies and connecting to the wisdom that does reside within their bodies. And that can be a struggle for some people. Um, tell us a little bit what you've noticed kind of are some of the barriers that kind of prevent people from really connecting with that wisdom within the body? Well, the biggest barrier, I'd say, is our success. You know, our mind has been incredibly successful at categorizing, analyzing, and um, creating systems to relate to this, to this world. Um, at the same time, Due to our success, our biology is lacking. Um, you know, our biology comes from an age where we were fighting saber-toothed tigers, where um, our intellect was incredibly useful at dealing with these deep survival challenges. Um, but at the same time, there are all these these um, fear-based in instincts in our body that our mind has been trained to take care of. But nowadays we're not fighting for our survival, at least not on an individual uh, So our minds seem to be uh, overactive and they pull us away from what is actually in front of us. And um, it's, it's, it's kind of funny, you know, um, Often it's the things that we, we want most that stand in between us and our, and, and our bodies. Um, what I've noticed, for example, uh, of course, fear is something that is um, that's a primary motivator. If you're afraid, our body has been trained or evolved. Okay, let's come up with a conceptual solution to this problem in the moment. And the moment we do that, we're actually no longer in the moment. We're, we're, we're thinking about, okay, what brought us here? What did I do wrong in the past? What are possible problems I could encounter in the future? So we step out of the present moment. We're no longer in relationship to what is happening around us. Um, and the second thing, often also, it could be fear of success. That, that's precisely that, what we want, the moment we seem to be getting it, well, there's a lot of right, a lot of um, high stakes riding on, on that. And again, the same thing happens, we leave our bodies and uh, we come up to, uh, to start, start relating to our experience from our minds. And in that moment, we often have a higher probability of uh, not, not responding optimally because we're responding to what we believe is happening as opposed to what our senses are are telling us in the moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for, for me, as, as you talk, what, what comes up is the idea that we often have a need to control. Yeah, can, can control the nature of the experience that's unfolding and, and rather than just surrendering to it. You know, and kind of allowing life to, to liberate us. We, we want to kind of hold on and, and control, and that's that, that's that tense control 
that often is a block um, to high performance as well. And people start to increase trying, that increases intention in the body, and we don't get actually to optimal high performance states when we've got that tension. It's so important to, to learn to relax and learn to sink really um, into the body itself. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about um, the, the work you do specifically with your clients and to help them make that transition. I mean, this is obviously a transition that you've made yourself. Um, so, you know, you're speaking from, from experience of, of um, and, and actually, you know, being an embodied model for, for that, you know, what's possible with that transition. But what specifically worked for you and how, what do you offer your clients as well as tools and techniques to enable them to make this transition? That's a good question. Um, first of all, I would like to note that this process is a highly individual one. So I don't really believe there is a one-size-fits-all solution, um, which brings us actually to a very, very important um, part of this conversation, that is neurodiversity. Like, we're so used to thinking about there is one right and one wrong, there's one truth, there's one real perception of reality and everybody who sees it differently is wrong and we find that there's actually a quite a large difference between the ways people's brains are built and the way they perceive reality, the way they prioritize it. So that's, that's the first part. There is um, just giving people an experience where they learn to relate to themselves in a way that they haven't done before. And because I'm such a nerd, you know, uh, there are a lot of uh, ancient and, and less ancient techniques. My scientific mind just kept wondering, well, how do I know this is true? You know, give somebody a pressure point or meditation or why does this work? So a lot of my effort has actually gone into uh, first figuring out the science behind it so that I can offer my clients a science-based narrative like, okay, we might be doing some highly uh, counterintuitive things because that's often what is necessary and start trusting that something that a different method can be useful like you know our brains are constantly convincing themselves that they're right because that makes us feel safe yeah. so i first have to give people an experience like okay for example um a strong pressure point massage which in the moment is not very pleasurable but by learning to relax in that um tension and by learning to find the tension that the body was already holding in the first place people often have this aha early it's like oh wait a minute i never realized how tense i was i always like to explain it like okay how do you explain to a fish that water is wet i cannot tell a fish water is wet he'll look at me and just like what are you talking about? I don't know this word. What is wet? I can only do that after I've taken somebody out of their habitual state of being, shown them, hey, there's actually a different way of, of being. And then, 
people are struggling with this conversation, how does that then begin to play out for the culture as a whole in terms of the directions we go? And what does that mean in terms of, you know, where we are as a common species on the planet right now and some of the challenges that we face? Do you have any thoughts or perspectives around that? Yeah, that's a very interesting question uh, you raise. Um, as a society, especially now during Corona times, uh, we see that, at least I see, how governed we are by our, by the language that we use and by the, the habits that we've created and how many of these habits are, at least in Western society, comfort-related. That, that most of our consumerism is not because it really makes us happy, but because it feels good and it makes us, us, us comfortable. Um, and anything that inconveniences discomfort, like this pandemic that comes around and we have to adjust our individual behavior to take care of, um, <laughs> take care of each other is met with a lot of resistance um, and, um, how you say, um, maybe even mixed intentions, um, that causes us to create all these polarities, like, like I'm right, you're wrong. You know, you shouldn't wear masks. You shouldn't wear masks, and we're we're losing ourselves in 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 this verbal diarrhea, as opposed to tuning in deeper into ourselves about what is actually motivating us to take all these positions and to make all these claims or judgments. And um, I think uh, global warming has has or should have shown us. Like guys, wake up! We we need to start looking at a at a larger relationship. But that's uncomfortable because I, as an individual, have no power over um, the outcome of global warming. At least it feels to me like that. Not realizing that global warming, for example, is a symptom. It's not not a problem in itself. It's a symptom of how far we have removed ourselves from our habitats, from um, relating to the world as a whole. So in a way, I see uh, the pandemic right now as a beautiful opportunity where suddenly are more empowered to take care of our environment, to, to use the discomfort of a lockdown or the discomfort of wearing a mask um, to um, to inquire within ourselves. Okay, why am I meeting this with so much discomfort? What is my mind uh, trying to protect me from? And um, well, it's 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 often said, um, you know, good times create not bad people, but um, dare I say, weak people. And bad times creates uh, strong people, and there is this constant flux between. Uh, after a war, there is this huge hype because everybody has gone through this deep dark, dark night of the soul, has faced that we're 
future society will be shaped by technology. So if we can create a different kind of technology, we make it much easier for ourselves to, uh, to become embodied as a species. Lots, lots to unpack in what, in what you've just said, but what, what came to mind for me first and foremost was the idea of um, discomfort as a gateway and actually leaning into it as opposed to moving away from it and the benefits that can come from that. So can you tell me a little, kind of a little bit more about that and how that specifically applies when it comes to the work that you do? Um, great, great question. Um, I don't like discomfort. You know, I'm, 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 I've, I've discovered with my body that, oh, I actually like pleasure quite a bit. I like to be touched. I like to dance. Um, I like to swim in water. Water feels great. Um, but at some point, you know, especially during Tantra courses where you're playing a lot with pleasure and sensory uh, motive sensory experiences you know you notice pleasure in itself is empty there's there's no lasting effect of of pleasure in itself unless you use the pleasure to retrain your habits then pleasure can be an incredibly powerful tool and what i have found is when i maybe not directly go into just the discomfort. You know, there are people who just go into the hard way. But that also creates a lot of, of hardness. That's the way I've done before. I did full contact karate, uh, American football, uh, you know, anything where I could feel something in my body. But I needed a lot of strong in, impressions to, uh, to do that. Um, and one of the most... Well, there, there are two incredible uh, experiences. One is this pressure points. Like it's, it's if somebody touches certain spots in your body where your body itself is holding on or, or trying to protect itself from some experience in the past. And then that tension is being released. That's incredible uh, relief. That's, that's like taking a weight off your shoulders. And the second uh, thing that I like to work with is ice water. Mm. Going into ice water is, again, it's not a pleasant experience. Mm -hmm. After 30 seconds, one minute, two minutes, though, something in the body kicks on and says, hey, wait a minute, I, 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 I was made for this. Mm -hmm. I can do this. Mm -hmm. No matter how unpleasant it is, I can handle this. Mm -hmm. And nine out of ten people come out of the ice bath with these huge grins on their smiles and giddy uh, of life and suddenly they've had this experience where in their body they felt oh wait a minute maybe it's not so bad to step outside of my comfort zone because my body can handle much more than my mind uh, thinks uh, and that's and that's that's also one of the, the good ways of looking at this as a society and as as an individual level. Our safety zone no longer coincides with our comfort zone. So everybody has the concept of a comfort zone. You know, you're okay in the middle and on the edge. 
it just starts to be stressful and outside you think there's 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 panic well often this comfort zone arises around where we are safe you know before we were fighting um, nature and catastrophe and, and uh, scarcity um, so our comfort zone has been creating a lot of productivity and consumerism but now that is no longer our safety zone. We are no longer safe in this habit of focusing on increasing productivity and increasing uh, consumerism. So our safety zone has moved outside of our comfort zone. So in order to stay safe and comfortable in the future, we now have to embark on this journey. It's really interesting what you're saying, and, and, and you know, uh, I'm a big fan of the ice baths myself. <laughs> it's interesting when you do it, how much you can achieve beyond what you think you can achieve. And, and there is that wisdom of the ancestors, as I say, that, that does reside within us. Um, you know, I've looked at a lot of, um, as you know, traditions, from, from, from kind of ancient traditions, shamanic traditions, and there's lots of different initiation rituals uh, where active discomfort is part of the process. Because by going through that, you begin to discover yourself beyond yourself. Yeah. 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 Um, so I do think it's a, it's a kind of it's an invitation to see what's possible. Um, I've been doing a, this this week. I've been doing a seven day fast, <laughs> um, and that for me again is another example of um, tuning into what the body actually needs. You know, when I get these inclinations to reach for food and come back, I'm actually really hungry now. Or what is the other positive need that my reaching for the food is seeking to fulfill? And, and let me go in and try to connect to that in, in maybe a, a different type of human way. Because uh, when I tune into my body, I'm not actually hungry. <laughs> um, it's, but there is some other positive need that, that I had been using food to, um, to satisfy. So I, I think that's a very interesting process of inquiry, you know, and I think that applies to lots of things. I certainly, when I do work with clients who have addiction issues, that is always the thing I say, that part of them who, you know, is reaching for the alcohol or reaching for whatever the substance happens to be, has a positive intent. You know, it, there is a positive um, need that it's looking to fulfill. It's just maybe not doing it in a healthy human way, you know. So interesting work. Um, where, where do you think we're going with technology in terms of the, the future society? There's a lot of concern right now about things like you see in the movie, The Social Dilemma, come out, and I know people are incredibly distracted a lot of the time as a result of, you know, technology. What, what, what's your What's your feeling in terms of, you know, where we're going and some of the the challenges that face us? Power. 
powerful that we cannot imagine it right now. So in that sense, um, I don't believe we should be in a state of panic. At the same time, we should be concerned because our technology that we create will not be nothing but a reflection of our own innermost drives. And as long as we are operating from a place of control, of domination, of um, creating differences, then that's the, technolo the technology we will create will, will reflect that. So um, I, I, I think technology companies have a responsibility to create awareness around this that you know creating a, a social network that has a certain uh, uh, addictive quality to it it will take it does take people away from their embodied experience and that has re repercussions at the same time we can also use that technology to create awareness around that and we, we are having this talk now across uh, a digital medium and we can reach many more times people without this. So um, I think it's uh, it's just a matter of, of learning the proper application uh, of this technology. And if I speculate a little bit deeper on um, on the future of, of science and especially artificial intelligence. I'm, I'm writing a book, Losing Your Mind, Coming to Your Senses, and uh, part of it, I am actually writing it for, uh, for our descendants. So I do believe that even if artificial intelligence might not be the same kind of um, conscious experience as we are, that it will behave like one in many similar ways. We're now starting a journey, a somatic descent into our bodies after having discovered the power of language. I think AI will have to go through a similar process. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to think what the future holds, and I, I think you're absolutely right. It's um, our relationship to the technology is the issue, and you know our relationship to ourselves, because that's what creates the technology. Individuals and cultures and societies is also the issue as well. And I think it's it, it really is all about the relationship and how do we strengthen and deepen that with ourselves and by extension with the world around us. Yeah. You know? Can I take you back to your time as a cosmologist? Because I've got an interesting question I want to ask you. Um, I was listening uh, the other day to um, uh, somebody who specializes in evolutionary game theory, which, as you know, is a mathematical theory. And he was uh, deb debating this idea of the hard problem of consciousness and whether or not uh, the reality that we perceive is actually the reality at all. And he says, if, if you apply the tools and models of evolutionary game theory, uh, what he found is that natural selection um, does not tune our sensory systems to show the truth. <laughs> or we, you know, whatever, whatever that truth may be. And it tunes our, 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 our sensory systems to, and our perceptions to act in ways we can survive and reproduce. So even if we think about space-time, our perception of it, um, 
It's not necessarily the truth, right? It's what we perceive. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I just it got really kind of blew my mind when I was listening to him. And uh, being a cosmologist and a mathematician yourself, I wonder if you have any reflections on that kind of thought process. That is, that is, you, you, you hit the nail, nail on, on the head. That is my, um, my fascination too. Like there are these uh, train of thoughts that if you follow them, you come at a conclusion that this reality might be vastly different from the one that we in our daily lives um, so Western society has, in effect, uh, 
Western um, uh, Western society, whereas Eastern society and this process relational uh, philosophy flips the world upside down, where now maybe objects don't exist, but it's relationships. Relationships are fundamental, and the more I allow myself to be influenced by my surroundings, and the more I can reconstitute myself from that influence, the more relational power I have over my outside. So it's power with versus power over. And um, one of his basic conclusions or, or, or hypothesis would be that Consciousness itself is a fundamental ingredient to um, to this reality. So, bringing coming back to your your question of the hard problem of consciousness, um, which is like, okay, if reality is purely materialistic, I only have these these atoms that have no internal experience whatsoever. How in the hell can I then come from a reality that is without an inner experience? to organisms such as us, where at least I have convinced myself that I have an inner experience. Because that's the first thing that I encounter. I don't encounter the outside world. I first encounter my own internal experience, my senses. And then I find out how these senses seem to relate to something outside myself um, that uh, I can sort of encounter other entities that claim they stuff. Bjorn, um, I, I think I could riff with you on this uh, all day long, uh, but uh, w w what's the best way for people to get in contact with you if they want to um, kind of uh, find out more about your work and uh, get involved in some of the programs that you run? Yeah, um, one good way would be to connect to me uh, on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I just called Bjorn Heiligers uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, I don't know if you can have some text, uh, you can put some links. Uh, and I have a WhatsApp group where I promote my uh, my meditations. I do a lot of uh, individual work, so I don't uh, run uh, sort of custom workshops. I, I I tailor my trainings to the individual. So the best way uh, would just be to reach me through email or or phone. Uh, and I'm I'm slowly building a new website to. Uh, That's fantastic. Um, so we'll post the links to, for um, people to connect to in the show notes. Bjorn, once again, thank you so much. Um, it's really been a real pleasure um, getting to know you. And thank you so much for the work that you've been doing and also what you're bringing to the world. I think we're at a moment where the importance of understanding our interconnections to each other is crucial. And that begins with understanding our interconnections within ourselves, yeah, and to all parts of ourselves. So again, really appreciate uh, you, what you're doing, and the work you bring to the world. And thank you so much again. My pleasure. Thank you so much. For